Welcome to Teacher Talks. After having such great conversations with innovators and thought leaders in the field of education, we looked around our community for practitioners in the field who joined us to discuss what these themes could look like in actual everyday classrooms, pre-K through 12th grade. Real talk with real teachers. Let's get into it. Hey everyone and welcome to Teacher Talks, the episode in which we get to the reality of, oh shoot, that was really weird. <laughs> Edit, beep, <laughs> and... Hey everybody, welcome to Teacher Talks. Uh, this episode, we will unpack the Charlie Jenkinson interview, and I have with me two wonderful friends and also colleagues at St. Andrews. I am so excited to hang out with you guys today um, and talk through what Charlie had to say about all things teaching and learning and like big picture and what does it mean to be a global citizen? So without further ado, um, Kate, introduce yourself. Who are you, Kate? I am Kate Dutro. I am the lower school librarian. So I work with the PK3 through fourth grade students on our lower school campus. And I don't know if people know how much teaching that involves, but since this is a teacher talks episode, give us a, like the lowdown. Like how much are you actually working with kids in a given like week? Uh, so we have a six day rotation and I see every class in six days and I think that's like 28 or 29 and it's over 400 students and then I do produce some content for um, students who are doing the Saints at Home pro program. So it's, it's a lot. So all the way from pre-K three all the way to fourth grade. Is that right? Yes. Man, what a, what a spectrum, what a range to see them grow up like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and it's fun though because you get to see them develop their interest and uh, really get to know them in a different way than their teachers get to know them. Awesome, awesome. Well, I know that they are excited to get to know you too, Kate. I know Aliana Rustler really likes to see Oh yes, Aliana Rust, who told me, <laughs> gave me a review of my teaching and it was good. It was a good review. So, yeah. and she wants to be a teacher, so. 10 out of 10. Well done. Well done. Well, we have also with us the wonderful Reverend Annie Elliott, and, um, who teaches in a variety of ways and serves a variety of roles on campus. That's right. I am one of the school chaplains, and I'm teaching in the upper school this year. I'm teaching world religions and ethics. And then, of course, we preach in chapel, which is another form of teaching. Who knew that preaching is like teaching? It's that, it rhymes. So it makes a lot of sense. It does rhyme. And um, <laughs> and that's about where the... <laughs> there are lots of similarities. I think it's, it's a different practice because you're trying to get it in such a succinct manner mm -hmm. and connect with a lot of people at once. And so shifting um, those expectations about grade levels and how many people we're preaching to of different ages is... Mm, different from teaching just my seniors where I feel like everybody's in a somewhat similar place. It is pretty cool because um, in the past I've mostly seen you preach in front of the younger audience and then for you to like hop to North Campus and, and teach like seniors that must be a, a pretty big shift maybe in some ways and maybe in other ways a lot of those same skills come in handy uh, in terms of unpacking big concepts in simple ways. I think you do that really well. 
Thank you so much. Yeah. True story. True story. Well, we're about to jump in. Both of you folks listen to the Charlie Jenkinson podcast. Before we do, the theme of this series is about sort of what has happened this past year. And on so many levels, it has just been an incredibly hard year for educators, for students, for chaplains, for librarians, for all of us. And so I I thought maybe we could start there and then jump into the interview. Is there anything that you want to share from your experiences this past year um, about you know your work and the, the, these various capacities um, that you have noticed or that you have learned or that you hope to bring into you know what you're doing next year um, broadly at any level um, and then we'll, we'll actually get into the interview my work has changed uh, a lot this year because we cannot be all together in one split space so all of our chapels have been virtual um, and so That's been very different, trying to create content that folks can watch when they're not all together um, and find a sense of community. And so I think one big takeaway from this year is how much people have loved seeing the younger students, if you're on the North Campus, so getting to see the little ones acolyting or reading, and then for our younger students to get to see some of the older students sharing their gifts has been really meaningful. And folks, I think even though we are very much looking forward to being in person for worship next year, are still looking to retain some of that sense of community that we found in this different way. They have been just incredible uh, ever since last March. And just, uh, I don't know any, if others listening to this podcast, maybe that aren't part of our St. Andrews community, are interested in in seeing them, where could they they access and sort of see how you've uh, put these amazing sort of community chapels together? On the St. Andrews web uh, site, then also on YouTube, there's a channel for our chapel videos. So we'll link that. that's the easiest thing to... Yeah, I think that's the easiest okay. way to find them. And that really has been an outgrowth of, you know, I saw lots of folks just recording themselves reading chapels. Um, and I just felt like that was going to be really sad if it was just me by myself in the school gym last year. So, you know, collecting all of these pieces from around the community, I think has been helpful. It's been incredible. We could do a whole podcast on that. That was that was just so beautiful. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for all you do. Um, Kate, any thoughts you want to share about just this past year and your role? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been tough. Um, I think you and I have talked, you know, outside of this podcast before about how there were a lot of things that uh, students have gained, though, during this process. Yeah. Um, not all, but a lot of them have developed a lot more independence earlier than they probably normally would have, and that's awesome. A lot of them have developed a lot more tech skills um, that they still need to develop and work through, especially when we talk about digital citizenship. But it's exciting how much, you know, how much progress they've been able to make and how we can use that to um, ease or supplement or change our teaching and learning, right? And then there's been a lot of downsides. I mean, being in front of that screen and not having the same uh, sort of systems and structures that they've had before, where in particular when I'm talking about reading, you know, I, I feel like I've lost some good readers to the screens and to the games and things like that. And so... I hope that, like, with time, those things change and those things shift um, and that 
you know, some of those folks come back around to reading. And, I, and I, I, as a librarian, I'm not the only one who's seen that. Like, we've talked about it as, as teachers as well within our, within our building. Um, yeah, so definitely some pros, some cons. Um, and, yeah, I, I, but I hesitate to say, like, oh, I'm so looking forward to next August when everything is normal because I feel like nothing's ever going to be normal again. Yeah. And we have to adjust and decide what what everything's going to look like and, and be willing to make those changes um, both for ourselves and for our community. Thanks. I think that's really wise. Um, I'm, I always am immediately suspicious of anyone who's entirely optimistic or anyone who's entirely pessimistic about any shift because I think there's always limitations and affordances mm-hmm. to, to, to these shifts and moments, um, historical moments. But uh, I really like how you phrase that. It's not as if we're like, and now what do we do now that we're back to normal? Um, certainly there's not a switch that just like, yeah. turns off. And, and nece- we maybe necessarily wouldn't want it to, as Reverend Annie mentioned. Like there are all these mm-hmm. ways that we have figured out how to make community that we want to sustain, of course. And, and if digital tools help us do that, then why not? So, well, this is a good moment to transition then, um, I think, into Charlie Jenkinson. Um, and thank you so much for listening to that interview. I think he talks a lot sort of about networks as sites of possibility, which is a theme that's already sort of come up in, in our pre-game conversation. Um, and so this is basically where I'll shut up, although you know I don't do a great <laughs> job at shutting up, but I'll try to shut up mostly. Um, and just listen to sort of the notes the two of you sort of took as you listened um, and how the big themes of the interview connected with things that you are thinking about in your own work at school and some of the themes I know that came up to me were around intrinsic motivation and how can we um, establish that, Um, what is intercultural intelligence, Um, what does equity and access look like now, Um, and the fact that learning happens everywhere all the time and isn't just, you know, relegated to the four walls of the school, which I mean librarians. They know this. They say this, uh, as do others as well. So, um, yeah, anything is open game. Looking forward to hearing what's on your minds. Want me to start? Okay. So one of the things that really stuck out for me that I think one piece was at the beginning of the interview and then kind of circled back, and I think this relates to um, Annie and I, in a great way, in what our roles are in that we work with so many different students mm-hmm. and so many different teachers and so many different disciplines when we're uh, working on our campuses. Even though we have specific job titles, we do end up doing so much more. And th- there were two things that I felt like went together. So one was he was talking about his pastoral experience impact. And um, even though my mother was British, I didn't know what that meant. So I Googled it oh, as a librarian would look you. this up. Of course. And what it really is, what that translates to to us is like co-curriculars. So those extra oh. pieces in your education. So mm-hmm. art or language or science, uh, you know, like science lab or library or music. And so those extra pieces, and those were the things that he enjoyed because he could explore so much. There was just so much more freedom in those because, yes, there's a curriculum, but there's just more, there's traditionally more room for exploration, I guess, was his his interpretation of that. Hey, is this when he said, re, I'm going to get the phrase wrong, read your way around? Well, so... What he, was that phrase? 
I, I've got it right okay, here. Okay, okay. Reading around your subject. Reading around your subject. I was so I struck that. by that, right? I thought it was brilliant because that's what is supposed to be happening, right? Like, so if a teacher is doing a unit on, I don't know, birds, they would come and get all the bird books from the library, right? And so a lot of our teachers already do that. Um, but... It's also about like putting those books in the hands of students and letting them figure out what 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 they want to explore. So, when I worked in Greenwood, uh, one of the science teachers came to me and he's like, "I need them to start learning more stuff on their own, like exploring more about science and figuring out what interests them." Because I have to teach this textbook material because it's on a state test, and that's not going to change. But I want them to develop their own interest. And so he, every time he would have a unit, he would be like, okay, you can come. And because everything was lined up Dewey Decimal, so he was like, this shelf, everybody pick a book off this shelf. Yeah. Doesn't matter, you know, what book it is. But then that would tie into, like, life cycles or something like that, you know. So as he moved through his units, he could direct his students to also get books that interested them about that science topic. Um, so that idea of reading around your subject was so fascinating to me. And I think one of the things that came up was like interdisciplinary and so there's just so much you could do with reading around your subject and how you can connect it to other um with other teachers you know cross disciplines or even if you're like you know in the lower school one teacher teaches all the subjects until third grade so there's so many opportunities where you can connect everything and check off all your your subject areas with one unit and incorporate that exploration. So, so everyone listening at St. Andrews anyway, <laughs> Kate is offering to help your students read around the yes. topic that you're working yes, on. And she will hook you up with a, and I'm sure Kendra in oh, the upper yeah. school. And the good news is most everyone listening has a librarian friend and God bless you. Thank yes. you librarians for, for helping us do this important work. I mean, it reminds me of like a web search, right? Yeah. Except how often do we do a web search and then we get something that pops up and then I'm over here looking at houses because I'm sort of looking at houses right now and thinking, Ooh, I can move closer to the school. Like it, it is just the ultimate sort of wonderful slash also rabbit hole kind of place. And so when you talk about having a shelf, um, that just kind of struck me in this moment as this romantics, but but also just incredibly practical way of going deep into a topic without the lure of 5,000 other things popping up. Yeah, I, I think that there really has to be like a happy medium. And earlier I said like I Googled something and I think that it's just kind of getting on my librarian soapbox for a minute. It's too easy for teachers to tell students to just go Google something without thinking about like, do they have the skills mm -hmm. that they need to yeah. properly go Google something, right? Or go search for something. But I think the other thing you talk about, you know, here at St. Andrews, yes, your librarians 100%, 110% are going to work with you and get you what you need. But, you know, if you're in a school where that's not as easy because your librarian is overwhelmed um, 
or your school has been underfunded and you don't have all the resources, still meet with your librarian because maybe she can put together digital resources for you. And I say she because most of us are women, but it could be he. <laughs> and then um, you also go to your public library. Almost every public library system has an educator card where you can check out way more than the max ah. of books. And those librarians hmm. want, yes, I know. We didn't. Annie and I are like, huh? And there's no, there's usually no late fees and you get nice. to check them out for like six weeks at a time or something like that. And you can still have your personal card and then have your educator card. So you can still do your regular library stuff and then have your educator card separate. And I, uh, most library systems do this. And if your public library system doesn't do this, ask that they do it. And I'm sure they'll come up with a way to make that happen for you. But librarians want, I mean, this is our job. We want to help connect you to resources. And I hope that people view librarians as a resource. Um, I try and teach students all the time, like when you're getting ready to do research, the first person you should go talk to is your librarian. That's what they're there for. I mean, literally, that is our job. That is what we're trained to do. And so don't hesitate to, to go in and ask those people for help. That's why they're there. They want to do it. <laughs> Thank you, Kate Future. I promise to bug you. Oh, yes, soon. please do. For many projects. Um, well, so many important themes. Thanks for thanks for taking that on. And I think, uh, I'm guessing you're just dying to jump in, Annie, so I'll just let you jump in. I know you have thoughts. I do have thoughts. I have been checking out library books on my kids' library cards a lot, so I, I guess I didn't need to do that. So... <laughs> good to know. Um, so I thought a lot about networking and um, the concept of like being in a network and trying to find, you know, I'm not the right person for everything, but do I know the right person? And I thought about that, some knowing that Kate would be here, but also just thinking about when we've needed speakers in the past, or we need some speakers for some videos we're doing soon about Mississippi authors and, you know, the freedom, I think, living in a network of people, as we do, um, the freedom we get to think, wait, well, what is the video we most need? What is the information we most need to convey? And that does not have to overlap with what I can speak to, because I know that there are so many people who will want to help. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I find it helpful to just assume is that most people want to be helpful. And so if you assume that, Great. then how can we, you know, ask people to do things that will bring them joy mm -hmm. and will also help us? And I, I thought there's a Beekner quote, he's an American theologian, that your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. And I thought about that as well. Um, while listening. My that, mom has that on her refrigerator. I oh, just want to say. That's lovely. So, I just feel like I just I just got a rush of home. Thanks. I'm going to cross stitch it. Yes, <laughs> it is the kind of good kind of quote. It is a cross stitchable. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a great sentiment, I think, because it's not just like where my greatest ability is. Yeah. It's my greatest joy. Mm -hmm. And like thinking through that and helping students see like, okay, well, you're you're really good at this and that's wonderful, but you don't seem to like it very much. And we want you to be someone who enjoys what you do and thinking about that whole person mm. um, 
for me is really important as well. So those are some of the things I was thinking about and particularly about interest. Um, I've tried a couple times in class this year to give folks project options. So you could do like an art response to the reading or you could write a paper. And for the most part, that's been really successful. The kids who wanted to do um, art responses made these amazing things that I couldn't have imagined when I offered that um, as an option. And I do think that all of our time at home got people to really invest in their interest in a different way than they had before. Um, because, you know, there's a certain amount of just having to be a generalist that is required when you're at school and you're going through your day. And then when we were all at home for so long, people could just play the guitar for several hours a day if they wanted to, or, you know, do whatever they were most interested in. And so I think we've been set up right now to say to folks, well, that, you know, interest that you had, how do you want to use that? Mm, Well, both of those themes remind me of of themes that came up in that Jenkinson interview in terms of, he used the phrase, in terms of equity, I am because of all of you. Um, Wow, what a a nice sort of way, Annie, of of thinking through how that might look like in in real life in terms of like, so I'm going to acquire this disposition of not just I am because of all of you, but all of you are interested in being part of who I am. And I'm interested in being part of all of you in whatever project it is, whether you're a teacher planning a PBL unit or you're trying to get tutoring help for your child or whatever it is, this idea, um, this disposition or way of being in the world um, is really powerful. And then I have also seen evidence in your in the projects you've implemented in your in your class of the same exact thing he was talking about in the interview when he talked about math teaching and kind of blew my mind about how, you know, telling students there's more than one answer and helping them think through strategies um, really is actually a tricky way of of shifting how they see themselves in the world uh, and how they can imagine multiple perspectives. Um, I had always thought about that in English classes in in terms of reading. I'm sure you too, Kate, about how we take perspectives on and we think through other lenses. Um, But the same thing is true when you say, hey, you can use art, you can use radio, you can use a podcast, you can, whatever it is, you can use that as a vehicle to show what you know. And guess what? Probably the people around you are also making their meaning in all of these ways, whether it's through dance or through football or through, right? And I guess if we like train ourselves to look for the meaning in in the ways in which people live, um, we could all have sort of a, a more kind and open way of being maybe. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, what advice do you all have in terms of like, you know, uh, a faculty member maybe listening to this podcast and, um, Charlie's ideas were big and, and your, your ideas are also important. Do you have any other suggestions for folks who really want to build global citizens? They want to build, um, these dispositions of being open in the world. Um, what, what should they do? How could they incorporate maybe a project, Annie, like you're doing, or maybe partnering more with their library? And we've already gotten some concrete suggestions, but anything else you want to add? Well, right now in ethics, um, my students all are going to have five conversations um, over this last quarter with different adults in their lives, mostly mm-hmm. on campus. And so in class, we mostly talk about our ethical concerns from, like, standpoint of, like, you may get assigned to represent utilitarians, and you may, you know, it's not necessarily about their own personal views. And I've 
So I've assigned these um, conversations that they're going to have with adults to actually talk about what they believe in kind of a safe space, hopefully, where, you know, the adult is there to reflect but not to argue because it's hard to talk about hot button topics without starting to argue. And so setting up a space where kids can communicate differently about um, their interest and, and what they believe about something is really important to me. I feel like right now we have realized podcast, video, land, how important it is to be able to speak and um, in addition to writing, which we teach so well here, but helping kids be able to have that verbal ability. I think there's a lot of ways you can work that into different classes. I love, I love that assignment so much and you'll have to circle back after you're done with it. And I want to hear stories about how that went and, um, just what a powerful way of, of leveraging what, what kids do all the time, right. In terms of like, Hey, or they don't do right. And their parents are like, what are you doing in class? Nothing. You know? And so I just love, I just love, 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 love that assignment. That's great. Great suggestion. I think we could all do it in a class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. in in some way, right. I think like Lots of times I run into teachers and they're like, well, that was great, but it won't work in my class. And I'm like, well, what can we do to make it work in your Mm -hmm. class, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly what Annie did. It may not work for your class, but some version of it can work in some some capacity. Um, So just kind of like how to make this an everyday reality. One of the things he mentioned in the podcast was that for like secondary education was to him more about fostering cross-cultural dialogue right Mm -hmm. so he saw it more as like as you get older you can um delve more and understand more which makes sense and he said elementary level would be like where you laid that foundation of um understanding or getting to know different cultures and different countries and and things like that. And that's kind of how everything's set up now. But I think that teachers, um, one, should never do it alone, right? There's always somebody who's going to be willing to partner with you, whether it's the librarian or somebody else. Like if you want to take a continent and explore it musically, you know, get with your music teacher. And that's another way to explore that and to lay that foundation so that that when they get to middle school, they have some idea of what you're talking about, right? Um, And get to high school and things like that. Um, So many different possibilities. But I think one thing that we have to be very aware of, and this came up um, on my librarian list server surrounding Ramadan, And um, it was a Muslim teacher overseas at an international school, and she had gotten some American books about Ramadan. And they were a little dated, but she had to contact the publisher because there were just these, like, broad overgeneralizations, right? And so she knew that they were overgeneralizations because she lived in that country and she was Muslim. But, you know, me here in America... In Jackson, Mississippi, I'm not Muslim. I I would not necessarily know. You know, I didn't live in that country. And so I think it's important to kind of check yourself and check what you know and reach out to others um, and and get feedback to make sure. Because one of the things that he did talk about, too, was he was talking about literature. And we can talk about that, too, as well. But one of the things he said was, is that teacher equipped to 
teach that piece of literature. And so I think that's something that we have to be like reflective of ourselves as teachers. Like, am I equipped to teach this? And if I'm not, I don't think the answer is no, teach I don't, it. don't mm -hmm. teach it because we're teachers. Like that's our job. And we didn't know how to teach before, but we learned how to teach. And we learned all of these things that we do teach to students. So like, you know, get with people, check your lessons, check your content, um, you know, and make sure that you're being genuine um, with what you're trying to teach about other cultures and countries. And, you know, looking at it, he talked about, you know, the American first mentality and things like that. Um, and that's, you know, a discussion that we're having a lot surrounding like social studies texts and things like that. And so just kind of being aware, like, and, and, and it's not your fault when the textbook overgeneralizes things, but it is your fault if you don't go get those supplemental materials or get that supplemental information to help broaden the conversation at an age-appropriate level, right? Um, there's a big difference between teaching a three-year-old and a fourth grader, right? So it's, it's just all those kind of things to think about when you get into that. But the, I think the biggest thing, and I said it already once, but just to reiterate, Get with somebody else. Don't do it alone. Mm -hmm. Like, there's always somebody who's going to be willing to help you and work with you. I really want to snap right now, but I don't know if that would sound really great on this equipment, <laughs> so I'm not going to snap, but just feel my, like, snaps of agreement. I mean, so well said, and I, it's, oh, it's this overarching, I think, um, disposition of humility mm -hmm. slash um, collaboration or, or that sense of... I, I can ask almost like the like both humility and the also like confidence to say like I can ask for help mm -hmm. and, and and people want to be helpful oh my goodness the two ideas just came together um so glad both Kate and Annie joined us today well we just have a couple more minutes um any final words either of you want to throw in in seminary, we read a good bit of um, Archbishop Tutu, which Ubuntu theology is tied to him and to his work. And he summed up his understanding of it as, I participate, I share. Mm. And I think um, I, that would be something I thought about a lot during this podcast, but also over the past year during the pandemic, is how do we participate and how do we share? And what changes happen when you do both of those things so many sh i'm getting a lot of shivers in this podcast studio um thank you for sharing that i haven't heard those two pieces together i participate i share we have that we have i am because of you um we have your other quote annie's other quote what was the other quote oh the beekner oh my gosh greatest joy, greatest joy the thing on my mom's need. fridge Mm -hmm. which I always said the name wrong in my head. I just saw it written, and I thought it was like Buechner or something. Say it again. Beekner. Beekner, like Beek. Mm -hmm. ah. mm -hmm. Who knew? Who knew? I would just say, like, what Annie's talking about, participating and sharing, are just two fundamentals of really great lessons and activities, and that was yeah. another thing that he talked about was um, action projects, right, and how does this all come together. And it. And you talked, we didn't get into extras, extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, but 
those that all goes with what Annie's talking about. If you're not participating in that project and you are not sharing in some meaningful way that's important to you, then it, it isn't going to stick with you. That's such a good point. So we can like as faculty ask ourselves as teachers across every age level, how are how are students participating? How are students sharing? And if there's no space for that, um, then no wonder there might not be like intrinsic sorts of motivators. Yeah. What a nice little like thing, like a little checklist to run through my brain before I teach a lesson or a day. Yeah. Gosh, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you both so much for, for bringing your wisdom and your sayings and your concrete examples. I feel like I sort of understand the ethos of Charlie's interview so much better after speaking with both of you. And I'm so grateful uh, for you jumping in and sharing your ideas, but also a little bit of your hearts with us. So uh, 